The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide. Uh, and this week it's the turn of the man himself, Howard Linsky. Hello, Howard. Hello, Danny. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Um, so, uh, yes, what we're going to do here is we're going we're gonna to look at um, Howard's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. We have another film that Howard considers too good to be forgotten uh, and also be looking at new releases at the streaming services as well. I think just one from Netflix we're going to mention this time. But first, it's the cinema. And there's only one film that really is being talked about this week. There is only one film that's coming out. Um, technically, a couple others have been released, but they're not going to grace our screens because Bond is back. Yes, it's all about one man this week, James Bond, after a very lengthy wait because this movie has been postponed, postponed, postponed and postponed again. And it's finally out um, on general release. And it's Daniel Craig's last outing as James Bond. And the title of the movie is No Time to Die. I suspect everybody listening to this will have heard about it. Um, it is going to be <clears throat> Daniel Craig's fifth outing as James Bond. And as I said, it's going to be his last. And the early reviews, I haven't seen a movie myself yet, obviously, because it's uh, only just hit the cinemas. But the first review I read in the Times gave it five stars, said it was the best of the lot. Uh, I saw a review in The Guardian that also gave it five stars. Uh, and uh, yes, it seems so far that, that, uh, that there is a, you know, a huge amount of uh, uh, critical acclaim for, for this yes, movie. And, and that's a really important thing because I think it's not just because uh, it'll do well for the producers and makers of the Bond movies, but it'll do well for the cinemas and get people back in. Hopefully that is the that is the hope. Yeah. So if they'd had bad reviews and if they said it was a, a cliched rerun of previous Bonds, then you know that, that could have but a knock-on effect. They've had years to work on this because the film was have. actually ready for... It was going to be out in May 2019 and, mm. and now it, we're September 2021. Yeah. They've had long enough to polish it. They certainly have, yeah. And I think they were right to postpone it as well because um, you know it's, it's taken a while for people to have the confidence to go back out there into the mm. cinema. And I've done that a few times lately, but... There's not exactly crowds. I went to see a movie last night and I was with my daughter and we were the only people in the cinema. And I'll talk but but that that's because Howard's an acclaimed author, you see, and he's able to close the cinema and just have a private screening. Can you imagine how much it would have cost me to buy another 118 tickets? To you don't need to do that. If, if they want you to tell tell people where you went, you see, that that's the price of it. Oh, you see. That, you know. <laughs> Local gets, author closes cinema. <laughs> Howard gets shops closed just so he can go around them. And it's, you know... Anyway, uh, yeah, but yes. <laughs> so I mean, there's you know we could go into the plot, but it's a Bond film. You know what's yes. going to happen? There's going to be I mean, somebody trying to take <clears> over the world. Bond's going to yeah. stop them. All of that. There is a little bit of plot that I've written down for you. It's five years after the capture of his <clears throat> main adversary Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Uh, Bond has left active service, so he's basically retired, not for the first time, and he's approached by his friend and CIA officer Felix Leiter, who's in most of the Bond movies, and he enlists his help in search for a scientist who's gone missing. And it becomes apparent that he's been abducted, and he has to confront, Bond has to confront, confront rather a villain whose schemes could see the death of millions. Bum bum bum. Yeah, um, but yeah, the plot's irrelevant. Let's just go and see the. Film. Yeah, it's just it's a Bond film. That's all you need. Someone to know, wants really. to destroy the world or yeah. kill everybody in it, and Bond has to stop him. Let's face yeah. it: if you don't want to see a Bond film, the the plot isn't going to convince yes. you otherwise. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, I mean, Daniel Craig's been being singled out again for his performance in the central role and also for adding a human touch to it apparently. yeah I, I think he's a really terrific bond i think uh, it started really well in the first movie i thought quantum of solace was a bit less uh, gripping but the others have been very good 
I think he's got a certain presence. People doubted him when he was first um, signed yeah. up for the role, but most people have been won over, I think. Well, the media were very much against him to begin with before the film came out. And, you know, he was the blonde Bond. They were running there lots of stories. There was not my Bond websites with yeah. petitions and all that. But I've always thought he was a great actor, so I thought yeah. he'd probably carry this off. They were, ru- they were running stories about how he couldn't drive and so <laughs> had to get someone to do the driving for him in the in the Aston Martin, which apparently was untrue. Um, stuff about how a, a female stunt performer broke a tooth of his and trying to make out he was, a very, he was very weedy in a way. Wimp and oh, he's had a few injuries, but I don't think that makes him a wimp. It's, no. it's, he gets back on the bike but, the next but it's day, interesting doesn't he? How you know? the, the, you know, the British tabloid <clears throat> press didn't seem to like him. Yeah. And then Casino Royale came out, and then suddenly he's the darling of, of British cinema yeah, because absolutely. he did yeah. such a good job with that film. I know. Well, here's hope it continues, because I'd love to see the cinema to get a boost, yeah. and every cinema in the country needs some bums on seats yeah. for this one, I think. Quickly tell us who else is in the movie, because it's quite a yes, good cast there's a pretty good cast. So you've got a cast of regulars, so Leah Sador is back again, as the, uh, well, they used to say love interest, but no, co-star, she's very, very good in this. It's not just a question of looking glamorous, she's got a, a meaty part. Mm. She's what the they movie. might have once called the Bond girl. Uh, I guess so, yes. Or one of yes. them, because there is another You're right. one there. Well, there's usually two in every movie, isn't there? One that dies early and one that stays the course. But yeah. uh, th- thankfully, they've fleshed out those roles now, and they're not just... Uh, a question of looks, really. Yeah. Uh, ben Wishaw's back as Q. I think he's very good in that role. Naomi Harris as uh, Moneypenny. You've got uh, Christoph Waltz back again, um, this time behind bars. Uh, Rory Kinnear is in it, and Ray Fiennes is in it as well as um, as M. Yeah, and and also um, uh, Rami Malek, yes, uh, Oscar-winning so actor. Yeah, Oscar-winner, and um, so they've gone they've gone and got him as the the lead villain in this one. Uh, Anna de Armas, who you might have recognised from other movies, is in it as well. Uh, and there's other names I'm less familiar with: Dali Bensala, Billy Magnuson, and David Denchik. I think I think those are pretty much all the ones that are, people might have heard of. Jeffrey Wright, of course, is Felix Leiter again. Um, uh, yes. Just rounding out the sort of regular. Yes, cast. he's very good. You'll have seen him in the Hunger Games, amongst other things. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anna de Armas. People may not necessarily be familiar with her name, but she was in. Uh, she starred in Blade Runner 2049. Yes, she was she, good in that. She was in Knives Out with Daniel Craig mm-hmm. as well, um, and she was very good in that. And uh, yeah, she she seems to be something of a rising on a, star. On a side note, I mean, Daniel Craig has just been commission, recommissioned to do two new movies based on Knives Out oh, on brilliant. Netflix, and oh, he's okay. going to make approximately $100 million for this. And I think Daniel Craig is a terrific actor, but can I say controversially, I don't think he nailed the accent in Knives Out, playing the Southern detective. You know, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was quite out there in terms of not being very accurate. And he's done Geordie before in Our Friends in the North, and he nailed that, yeah. to my surprise. But anyway, well, he's, out, he's from not far from that part. He's from the northwest, yeah. the other end, the other side. So. Yeah, yeah, but that's all up north, isn't it? Yeah, for, see, for see, all see, of us down here. Anybody north of Birmingham is not yeah. that far away from each other, aren't you? Steven, Stevenage, actually. Yeah. Skillboy era. Anyone north of Stevenage. <laughs> ben, Benoit Blanc was the name of the Benoit character. Benoit Blanc, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie, but his accent was a bit all over the place, I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it worked, because his character was quite quirky. He was sort of yeah. like a, a, a southern Columbo, wasn't he? He was a bit, and uh, plot-wise, it was a bit Agatha Christie-esque, I yeah, thought. Yeah, very you know. much so. Bit of suspend your belief, but good fun. Yeah. Okay. I did enjoy it. But that's Knives Out, which is mm. not the film that we're talking Sorry, about. Sorry, I'm rambling off on a <laughs> tangent here. <laughs> yeah, so No Time to Die. It's the Bond film. It's out yeah. now. You can't miss it. It's going to be everywhere, um, and, and undoubtedly you will... S- 
give in and for many people maybe it will be their first film back after the pandemic mm. so um what what a film to come back to now there is one other that's out on release at the moment that was the one that you indeed got the cinema closed down for so you yes, could go and see yes. it yes i rang up and said look i don't want to sit with the general public didn't you get your people to ring up well obviously i got my people to ring up but i don't want to sound arrogant my people spoke to their people right. <laughs> and i went to this movie with my daughter um and she uh she well i dragged her along there basically because she'd never seen the sopranos but we went to see The Many Saints of Newark, which is The Sopranos prequel, or as I described it to her, the origin story, a bit like the Marvel ones that they do where they introduce the characters. So um, you may have already heard or read or even seen the movie, uh, quite a lot about the movie. Um, Many Saints of Newark, it stars, interestingly enough, Michael Gandolfini in a more of a supporting role playing Tony Soprano, which was memorably played by his father in numerous seasons of The Sopranos. The main star is Alessandro Nivola. Um, and because, it, because this isn't about... So Tony Soprano was the, the, the central character in The Sopranos. Yes. Uh, but this is about other characters, isn't it? It, it is, and, but it also kind of alludes to the fact that this is how Tony Soprano became Tony Soprano. The, the Tony Soprano that we know. Yeah. So he's a high school kid in this. Um, young at first and growing up into his late teens. And, um, you know, it, it shows how he's not that interested in school and the teachers say he's very bright and a bit of a leader, uh, but he doesn't have a lot of interest in it. And at this point, he could go either way. People even say it in the movie, he could have uh, uh, an impact in life outside of this thing of ours, which is where they refer to the mafia, in, right. in, in potentially in real life, but certainly in uh, in movies, which is I think is a translation of Cosa Nostra. Is it not this the thing of ours? This thing okay. of ours—that's what it means, cause an right. So, do you know why it's called the Many Saints of Newark? Yes, because um, the character's surname it actually stands for Many Saints. So, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Multisanti. Multisanti. Yes. Was the uh, yeah. surname? So, so there was a character in the Sopranos, Christopher Multisanti. Yeah, and this and is his father that we're following in the pre. So, confusingly, because I had to try and explain this to a fifteen-year-old, but thankfully, because no one else was in the cinema, I could do this. I was explaining to her that the narrator at the start of the movie is the young Christopher. Oh, sorry, actually the deceased Christopher because he dies in The Sopranos. Yes. And he tells a story about how he was murdered by his uncle. But it all goes back to 1967. And it begins with the story of his father. And that's the guy we follow through the movie. If you're not confused already... You soon will be, I'm sure. Is this just um, go and see it? It's very good. Okay, do you have to have seen The Sopranos to enjoy this? No, I mean it helps, um, but she'd never seen it, my daughter, and she still enjoyed it. Um, it is a bit. It has the same tone as The Sopranos in the sense that it's not an ordinarily beginning, middle, and end type of thing. It's more about the randomness of the violence of the life that they okay. encounter and the emptiness of it all. But it does have a plot, and it does. You know, you can follow it. Mm. So I don't think it's necessary to have seen it, but it obviously helps. And if you're a Sopranos fan, you'll probably love it. I guess if you like gangster movies, if you like Goodfellas yeah. and that sort of thing. It's got really otter in it. Yeah. I mean, but having said that, that reason, if you like those sorts of things, you yeah. would have seen The Sopranos. You, you that's absolutely true. Yes, would you have probably done. would have done, yeah. Um, yeah. But but anyway, this is the big screen version. And yeah, uh, as you said, there are Rayleigh Otters in there. Uh, John Bernthal, who seems to be in a lot of things these days, uh, the guy from uh, The Punisher on Netflix most recently, oh, and right. also was in The Walking Dead. Um, he, he's got a face that looks like it was on fire and someone put it out with a shovel. Um, 
but, uh, but anyway. Allegedly. In case his people hear this and his people call your people. Well, I'd be more frightened if he heard it and came ah. and see me because he looks quite a scary fella. Fair enough. But, but yeah, he played Johnny Boy Soprano. Ah, okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's been in a lot of TV stuff. And uh, yeah, so that's The Many Saints of Newark, which is also out yes, on general release at the moment. Uh, we'll be back with more in a moment. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time now to take a look at what's on the streaming services uh, and what's coming out, well, new releases on the streaming services this week and uh, just one to tell us about, I believe. Yes, I don't think many people wanted to go head-to-head with James Bond, but uh, if anyone could do it, Princess Diana possibly could be the one. Uh, although I suspect this will uh, potentially divide audiences. So this is on Netflix from October the 1st, and I suspect people will either think this is a fabulous idea or a terrible one. And it's Diana the Musical. And at first I wondered if it was a spoof, but it isn't. Um, it's based on a, an actual Broadway show. Um, so it's a serious thing. Uh, it's a musical with music and lyrics by David Bryan, who is uh, incidentally in his day job, the keyboard player for Bon Jovi, apparently. And the book, as they say in the theatre world, uh, is or musical world, is written by Joe DiPietro, who um, is a Tony Award-winning musical writer and director. For uh, He did a thing called Memphis, which won Tony's. And he also did a long-running off-Broadway show called I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change, which um, sounded quite like a witty title. Um, as an incidental, do you know what defines an off-Broadway production? Because I found that out. Um, my research as opposed to Broadway I imagine it's it's something that's in a in the theatre district that's near Broadway well I always thought that yeah I guess that probably is true to an extent but officially it's about seating capacity so there you go it's got to be between 100 seats and 499 well and then it's off Broadway yes because if it was less than 100 they would be off off Broadway I kid you not Okay, I'm so, guessing the location of that that small theatre also must play into it slightly. Well, I would have thought so, but um, otherwise we could say be... the we could say the the Abbey Theatre is off Broadway. Well, I guess with it's two hundred seats. I guess all well, yes. If it's not in New York, then yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay, all right, Mister Pedantic. Yes, but <laughs> well, no, you, you started this. I just wanted clarification. Yeah. Is all so Broadway big theatres on Broadway off Broadway. Smaller, th- smaller venues between 100 and 499 seats. Right. Off, off, Broadway, off, off, is less than 100. And okay. we are talking New York only, just for clarification. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I've seen the trailer. Um, it looks a bit strange, but then I'm not a fan of musicals per se. You won't catch me going to see, I don't know, Mamma Mia, if they did it again on, on, on the West End. So if you like that kind of thing, you'll like that kind of thing. If you don't like it... It's probably not for you. I think the subject matter itself would put me off slightly because, uh, you know, th- this is p- potentially controversial, but 
you know, D- Diana was a human being, mm. and she did some great things. She did some not so great things. Correct. Before yes. she died, mm. the media hated her. Yes, and used to brutal. say awful things about her, which which <clears throat> were completely unfair because she wasn't all evil and she wasn't all no, no, saint no. either. But then, as soon as she died, she became yes. Well, we do, we do that, don't we? Build people up, crash them down again, and if they die or commit suicide, yeah. they are then venerated. So it's yes, I totally agree with you. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is just. It's probably the crown with music and lyrics. I mean, you know, there you go. <laughs> okay, that's uh, Diana the Musical, which is out now on Netflix. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Time now for Howard's Too Good to Be Forgotten choice for this month. I, I misread this. I saw one oh. word and thought it was a different film, and then I've just read it again, and now I've seen what film it is. I thought, oh, he's chosen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Ah, uh, no, no. We've, I think we've mentioned that in the past, haven't we, Dirty yeah. Rotten Scoundrels, because we both like that movie. Now, this is the much older and probably less well-known, hence too good to be forgotten, School for Scoundrels uh-huh. from 1960, which is a classic Ealing comedy but maybe not one that gets talked about as often as the others. But I love this movie. So its um, star is Ian Carmichael, who often got cast as the bumbling English gentleman, and he is in this. The um, classic English villain is often played by Terry Thomas, and he is in this. He's fabulous in this. And ably supported by Jeanette Scott, and also Alastair Sim, who you might know from um, the uh, Centrinians movies, and he played Ebenezer Scrooge, and he did a load of great stuff in the 50s, so he's really, really good. And the whole plot revolves around Ian Carmichael's character, Paul Free, who seems to be not winning life in any way, shape, or form. Um, he's underwhelmed at work, sorry, undermined at work, I should say, in his job, and he's often outwitted by other people, including Terry Thomas, um, in everything he does, wooing women. Uh, when people try and sell him cars, he ends up with a duff car. Uh, because he's just too gullible, and he's finally had enough. So he signs up to join the School of Lifemanship, which is run by Alistair Sim. And basically they teach him a bunch of clever and dirty tricks in how to win. And then the rest of the movie shows how he goes out and implements them (laughs) to try and outwit Terry Thomas, land the girl, played brilliantly by Jeanette Scott, who plays April. And And Jeanette Scott's character, April, gives Terry Thomas the opportunity to utter the classic line, oh, to be in England now that April's here, when he sees her, which I think is a classic piece of English school, English comedy writing. Can I just say, Terry Thomas wasn't here. That was actually Howard Linsky who did that voice. Yes, and he's available for voice yes. work. <laughs> Terry Thomas just walked into the room there, didn't you yeah. think? Yeah. yeah, yeah. sorry about that. I'm no, very no, northeastern. Actually, was, very no, northeastern no, no. Terry Thomas. You managed to hide that well. Well done. Um, is that how you speak when you go into restaurants and things? Yeah, I have to pretend not to be me, obviously, or I don't get served. You know, the problem is a lot of people who work in restaurants are not from this country originally and they learn English the classic way and then I speak and they haven't got a clue what I say and then my wife has to explain to them what I've just ordered she has to translate she does bless oh her yeah okay so anyway uh, uh, School for Scoundrels uh, a great cast um, yes you know as you mentioned there um, the, the, the main people just looking down the list some um, stalwarts of British comedy as well John mm. Le is in there from Dad's Army of course Dennis Price as well is brilliant in it as a car salesman yeah um, he, was the, he was the main guy in Kind Hearts and Coronets which is one of my all time favourite movies fabulous go- uh, movie um, yeah and we've also got uh, Irene Hand and Hattie Jakes are in there and I was interested to see Jeremy Lloyd listed who was not as well known as an actor but he was the guy who wrote things like um, Are You Being Served and Oh that Jeremy I didn't realise it was the same fella Ah uh, 
Yeah, yeah. He wrote. He wrote. Are you being served? And um, he was involved with Hello, Hello, and uh, all, all of those sorts of. Uh, I'm trying to see what else he did. Yeah, didn't he have a writing partner? There's two of them, and I can't remember. Yeah, um, who it was now. The, uh, David Croft. That's it. David, didn't, didn't they do Heidi High? As no, well? I think David ah. Croft did that with someone else. Oh, you see, I, see I, I was suddenly being TV cautious trivia. about which which films, which series I mentioned there because <laughs> he did some, but he didn't do. Yeah, so he did Hello, Hello, and he did uh, Are You Being Served. Um, and uh, it was yeah his his writing partner I think who was involved with Dad's Army and ah, other, right. yeah. other things yeah David Croft between was, them yeah. they wrote everything basically kind of <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes yeah. they worked together and sometimes they didn't but yes uh, yeah David Croft did uh, Dad's Army um, I should think example, along and Heidi Ian, High uh, Ian Clement and Dick Lafrenia yeah you know. yeah and, and aren't they Dick Clement and Dick Lafrenia sorry yes they are they're North East lads yeah. 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 You can't keep us down. You know. No, much as we try. <laughs> you do try, but you yeah. can't. <laughs> so this week's uh, film that is too good to be forgotten is School for Scoundrels from 1960. We'll have Howard's Choice of Films on free-to-air TV momentarily. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St Albans podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Time now to take a look at Howard Linsky's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the week ahead. And we start off with Friday the 1st of October, uh, 11am. So if you're unavailable, you might have to set a recording device or, or book market or I don't know what people well, do these days I think I mean I'd love to pretend the timing was deliberate so that you've got plenty of time to go and see the new Bond film after you've seen this one on TV but you know give yourself a day off annual leave or something yeah watch this one yeah if you pull a sickie then this one's yeah. on 11 a.m it is a classic film and this is the original version uh, of from 1957 12 Angry Men yes I, I thought this was great when I first saw it and I still I still like it a lot and I went to see a West End version a good dozen years or so ago now and it's still I think it stands up very well um, it's a basically a courtroom dark drama that was directed by Sidney Lumet, and it's about a jury of twelve men who deliberate the conviction or acquittal of an eighteen-year-old defendant on the basis of reasonable doubt. And from from memory, from seeing it many years ago, it starts with pretty much most of the jury thinking this guy is guilty of the crime of which he is accused, and uh, one juror starts to ask questions along the lines of, "Look, what, why are we rushing into this? And let's just look at the evidence." And it one by one, he persuades them to look at the case again. And uh, in doing so, often overturns their prejudices and gets them to think about why they're thinking the way they are about the person in the dock, about his age and his ethnicity, etc. Henry Fonda leads the cast. Um, I think he was also a producer, actually, from memory. It's a 1957 movie that got a lot of plaudits, including Oscar nominations in all the big categories. Um, black and white. Uh, yeah, I mean, just atmospheric and well worth a watch and uh yeah nice a nice film for a wet friday morning i suspect if it's pouring down outside stay in and watch this 
<laughs> Couldn't get more of an endorsement than that. Uh, yeah, but an absolute classic. And to say a courtroom thriller, it, it wouldn't really be fair because most of it's not set in the courtroom, Actually, it's is it? it's a jury room. Yeah. Thriller. If, almost if all of it exact. is set in yeah, yeah. one room, mm-hmm. isn't it? And it's mm, it is. while they're um, deliberating. It's over. almost claustrophobic because they're locked in there and of course most of them just want to get the um, verdict in and go home. And so that is one of the, you know, there's a lot of people say, oh, we're wasting our time here. Why? This guy's clearly guilty. And then Henry Fonda has to use uh, persuasion and also logic and, um, you know, attempt to get people to just look again at this and see what you actually think mm. you've seen and heard. And a great cast as well. Uh, you, Lee Jacobs in there. Um, Jack Klugman, uh, Quincy off the mm. TV, oh, no yes, less. Quincy, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jack Warden, who was um, a, a prolific actor, who did a lot of movies around that time. He was in a thing on TV in the 80s called Crazy Like a Fox. I don't know if you'd remember oh, that. The title rings a bell, but I can't. Recall. It was. I think it was about um, a maverick cop, as they all were. Ah, they're all uh, mavericks. Who was, I think it was a bit <laughs> old. It was played by him. And it was his son, who was a very straight-laced attorney. And I think they went and solved crimes. Or, Got you. Or, yeah, something like that. But, I must have been busy watching Petrocelli on the other channel or something. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that, that's uh, that's Howard's choice for uh, Friday, the 1st of October, 11am, 12 Angry Men on Film 4. Let's move to Saturday, the 7, 2nd of October, 7.25pm. And it seems of late that television is, is doing a lot of things on submarines. There's been yes. a series on BBC One that's been yes, vigil, uh, yeah. quite popular. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, and, and of course, cinema's been doing films on submarines for years. Yes. And this is one that maybe isn't as well known as some of the others but from 2002 it's k19 Widowmaker. yes i thought this was very good it was something i picked up a few years ago on dvd and it was one of those ones i just thought i'll give this a chance and uh the reviews were a bit mixed but i thought it was really good so basically it's based on a true story that's what's interesting about it and it's about the launch of the soviet union's earliest nuclear submarine that immediately runs into trouble and the captain on the sub is forced to make some very difficult decisions he's played by harrison ford Liam Neeson plays the second in command, the EXO, who would have been captain, but has been um, replaced by Harrison Ford for various reasons. And it's also ably supported by Peter Sarsgaard, who is a really terrific actor, I think. I've seen him in a number of um, good, good things, particularly he was in An Education, which is a very, very good movie. Um, and it was directed by Catherine Bigelow, um, one of the earliest uh, renowned film directors or female film directors in Hollywood who's, um, you know, uh, blazed a trail, really. But I thought this was very good. It was um, it was claustrophobic, as all good submarine movies feel. And there's a lot of adversity, which they try and overcome. And I think the fact it was based on a true story. Um, and they did get input from the surviving crew members, without giving too much away, uh, really adds to this. It's not fiction entirely. It's, it's mostly fact. And is a riveting story. And um, the story itself was covered up for many years because it happened in the Soviet Union. They weren't allowed to talk about it until the late 90s. So well worth a watch. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, I also noticed in the cast there, Joss Ackland's in there, oh, yes, who was also yes. in The Hunt for Red October. So obviously he had a thing for submarines. Yes. And uh, yeah, they wheel him out when they want to play, you know, villainous foreigners. He was the South African guy in Lethal Weapon oh, too, wasn't he? Wasn't he just? Wasn't so he I think just? He, yeah, I think he cornered the market in the 80s of playing gravel-voiced uh, unfeeling older villains. He's yeah. a very, very good actor. Yeah. So that's K19, The Widowmaker, uh, which is on uh, Saturday, the 2nd of October, 7.25pm this yes, time. And, uh, and I should p- add, it's got nothing to do with Doctor Who's dog either. It's K19, <laughs> not K9. Yeah, it's, it's a later model. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's move to Sunday. And uh, we have a film from 1958 on Sunday, the 3rd of October, 4.35pm, Ice Cold in Alex. 
yeah, this is a bit of an old classic. I haven't seen this since I was a kid, but it was blooming good. And it's um, it's a relatively low-budget war movie in the sense that there are only big battles in it from memory. Um, John Mills takes a lead role, as he as he often did in movies of that ilk, and he, he very often played soldiers. This time he plays Captain Anson, who is basically in charge of a, a, a small group of um, soldiers who were involved in uh, providing ambulances for the... Um, wounded uh, and injured in the war and cutting a long story short his his they're all told to move and evacuate from an area before it's overrun by the germans and they have to get across the desert and their ambulance with only three or four people in it is lost initially in the desert i think there's a storm from memory and they pick up someone along the way who says he's a south african but may or may not be a german spy and that man is played by anthony quill um, Sylvia Sims is in it as well and Harry Andrews is a name you probably won't recognise but I bet you'd recognise his face because he's been in a lot of stuff over the years um, he did a lot of um, military types uh, he played and usually sergeants and a bit with a you know booming voice and telling people off but uh, it's a good oh, it's, it says here as well he was uh, second elder in Superman from oh, 1978 okay. <laughs> so I must have missed him in that one but yeah, yeah. So, but he did a lot of stuff over many numbers of years and John Mills is always good value I think is in movies, and it, it, it's slightly complicated his role by the fact that the man has turned to alcohol, and that sort of clouds his judgment at one point, and then he has to try and give it up. And as an aside note, um, he swears he won't touch uh, booze until he gets to where they're heading, and then he's going to have a nice cold beer um, in Alex in Alexandria, I presume, is the, the, the where they end up. And that then became an advert in the I think late eighties or early nineties. And you see John Mills drinking this lager down in one. And um, and it, the, the branding of the lager is on the glass. And everybody thought maybe it was just put in there, photoshopped in there. But I believe it's from the actual movie. Okay. So they used the footage of him drowning this... Uh, down, sorry, not drowning. He didn't drown in drink. He downed <laughs> his drink. So, yeah, just a little bit of trivia. You might recall John Mills drinking a beer down in one in the heat of Alexandria. Okay. In the commercial. Now, I remember some years back seeing a chat show. And on the chat show, there were two guests that night. It was John Mills and it was LL Cool J, the American actor and rapper. And at the beginning of the episode, it said, uh, please be warned of of strong language. You know, this was back when you didn't get such strong language on a chat show normally. And uh, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you know, they get the American rapper on. He's there all getting all sweary. (laughs) Wasn't him. John, it was John Mills, and he told a joke, and the punchline included the F word. Wow! And the jo- they couldn't cut unless they cut the whole joke out because it, it it only worked because of the F word. That the joke was crucial to it, and and I just thought that says something about me, doesn't it? That that uh, that as soon as they they had the warning at the beginning of the show, and it said tonight's show contain yep. does contain one instance of strong language. And I'm thinking, yeah, it will be the American rapper, and no, 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 it no. was the esteemed English actor. To be fair, I don't think you were prejudiced to think a rapper might be swearing because they tend to in the rap uh, music that they produce. So I think that's fair enough. But yeah, good old John. So that's uh, Ice Cold in Alex from 1958. That's on uh, Sunday the 3rd of October, 4.35pm on uh, ITV4. No, no, like great movies action. Game. So yeah, the next one's on night. More obscure channel, great movies action, but it is on free view. Okay. I probably should have added the title. But no. I mean, you can Google that, can't you? Uh, some people's TV systems might have it in a different number position. Uh, They're not always go. consistent. But yeah, great movies action is one on uh, free view. You're quite right. Mm. But let's move now to Monday, the 4th of October, 11.15pm on, on ITV4. I've got that one right this time. 
and interesting that this is getting shown because the the latest film, the fourth in this series, is, is out imminently. But it's the original Matrix. Yes, the Matrix. Yes, and let's hope the fourth is as good as the first, and let's gloss over the second and third, <laughs> which seem to ramble on interminably. But um, we sometimes forget how revolutionary the Matrix was when it came out. It was 1999. It's a while ago now, and I think you can see its influence stretching out in so many movies since then. All those slow mo acrobatic fight sequences. Some of the um, uh, conspiracy theory style plotting <clears throat> in this one, uh, it talks about a dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside a simulated reality, which is known as the Matrix. And Keanu Reeves plays Neil, and he's the guy who is offered a pill to see the truth or not. You know, the blue pill, red pill conundrum. Does he want to know what's going on? And it turns out, like a lot of movies, a bit of a trope, but he is actually unknowingly the one, mm. the chosen one. So it's a bit like a similar thing for Harry Potter, for Luke Skywalker, you know, these people who don't quite realise they're the one until they're told they're the one. <coughs> um, they're ably the, the, support. The reluctant hero. The reluctant hero, yes. And whose life suddenly makes sense because he's had an, a fairly dull office job until that point. So he's very ably supported by Lawrence Fishburne. Carry on, Carrie Ann Moss is very good in this. Hugo Weaving and Joe Pantoliano kind of launched a career playing, you know, sleazy, often villainous characters on the back of this one. Yeah. But it's just great. It's great fun. It's very imaginative. It's very clever. It's visually it was, stunning, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, even now it stacks up well, but back then it was quite amazing, some of the special effects that they did. So I can see why they threw all the money at the sequels. I just wish they'd spent a bit more on the script, you know. <laughs> but it's written and directed by the Wachowskis, and um, as you say, installment four coming soon. So yeah. let's hope it lives up to the hype. Yeah. That's uh, The Matrix from 1999, the original one, uh, ITV4, Monday the 4th of October, 11.15pm. We move to Tuesday the 5th of October, 9pm on Film 4, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I know, we seem to be in... Uh... And the fifth one of those is imminent. Yes, and uh, yeah, they're filming currently, aren't they? And the poor man keeps getting injured. They, they, they're so. film, they've been filming up north. They have, yeah, yeah. That's at Yorkshire Way, wasn't it? I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even further, I believe. Oh, right. Bamburgh Castle, at one point, they were filming in, but they filmed lots of things there in Northumbria, okay. including Game of Thrones, but there you go. But I'm not going to tell everybody how lovely it is in Northumbria because we want to keep people away from there. Yeah, and then we people just think, so, so why do you move down here then? Yeah, well, you know, jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Initially yeah. jobs. Here we go. Yeah. But, but tell us yes. about Indiana Jones. Anyway, we crusade. digress, don't we? Yeah, yeah. So Indiana Jones, who you may have heard of, I, I think this is peak indie. This was Indiana Jones. The last crusade is the one where he was teamed memorably with Sean Connery, who played his father. Who, I think the age gap was probably only about eight or nine years at the time. But um, they did probably still good, is. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, but well, poor Sean's not with us anymore. But yeah. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, so I guess Harrison Ford's now catching him up. Yes, he is. Bless him. But anyway, so I think Harrison Ford's pushing 80. Um, not far away. I will check that. Yeah. You? Oh, you're going to make me out to be a liar and tell me. No, 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 50, no. I think, you know. I think you're, you're close to the truth, but, but you carry on. This is going back a while. It was 1989, I think, when it came out. And basically, Indiana Jones has to search for his father, who is a Holy Grail scholar, in an effort to um, A, free him from the Nazis, and B, attempt to find the Holy Grail. And also, from memory, they are supported by Alison Doody, I think was her name, was a very good British actress who played a really good role. And 
I, I believe memorably ends up with both of them, not at the same time, but one after the other. And that, there's that a very funny a scene where they're tied back to back, yes. and she whispers in the ear of one and says, "You were great," and the other one says, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's off. They've got that rotating fireplace. Thing yeah, when they're tied together, that's very good as well. Oh, there's so yeah. many. I mean, so many good scenes. This is it. just a classic movie. It that, is. I'm glad I, you agree. Yeah. I think. I think probably the best one, and mm. I think that was possibly pushed to the best one because of Sean Connery. Yes, I think so. He was very funny, and there's some really funny bits in it. And, but, uh, but the opening, the opening well. sequence as well was breathtaking with River Phoenix playing the young Indiana oh, Jones. Oh, yes, that was good and, on the train. Yeah, yeah, such a good sequence. And snakes, and you find out why he doesn't like snakes. Yeah. Because he ends up with lots of And even how, how he has the cut on his lip. Yeah, the um, hat, he gets the hat. Yeah, all of it. You yeah, see, yeah, there so was the or, origin stories before they were a thing. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very, very good scene. And, it, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a flawless film it looks beautiful yeah. some of the settings um, the, the, the Venice looked great with the, the sequence in Venice and you know the, the classic uh, Indiana Jones it and, is it is I'll and, have to tune into this one again you're whetting my appetite for yeah, this, no, I've seen it for a while and, and uh, in every one of the original trilogy he had a big fight scene with Pat Roach you know uh, Bomber from Afwida's Ain't Pet? Oh, right, he yes, played a different. Yeah, he yeah, played yeah. a different villain in each oh, one I didn't that, he was that, a that he had a yeah. big fight scene with. Right. In, in the first one, he was the, the bold German pilot who he had a fight with by an aeroplane, and then he got oh. the demise when he ended up in the... The in propeller, the yes. propeller. In yeah. the second one, it was on a conveyor belt that was crushing rocks, and there was a, uh, was a big oh, yes. guy in a turban, and that was Pat Roach. And then in the third one, he was another German, and they were in a fight on a, on a, a, a tank. Oh, wow. And yes, yeah, so in each of the original movies, he had a big fight scene with that that same British actor playing three different parts. And being killed every time, as us Brits tend to be. We play villains in Hollywood. And yeah, it never <laughs> ends well. Mangled. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, old bomber Pat Roach was... Brilliant. Uh, was in each of those original movies, but yeah, let's let's hope that the fifth one is more like the first three and not like the fourth one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade. Oh, by the way, Harrison Ford's age. What did you say? You oh, I said he's pushing eighty. He's eighty next year. There you go, pushing eighty. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You're squarely getting that. I'll, I'll let you have oh, that. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you know, the thing is, when you sort of think that, you think, oh, you know, surely he's too old to be doing all this sort of stuff. Mm. But it kind of. It, gets away with it he, he can do it like the, I thought that yeah. the Star Wars film that he came back and did I thought he was the best part of that movie I think he has a lot of presence I mean he's in K-19 the one we mentioned earlier and he yes. carries that off really well I think I, I mean it, a certain amount of swagger and mm. possibly a certain amount of arrogance but he has screen presence that guy but he's, he's very... a bloke who basically spends his time in movies running jumping over things and punching people mm. and you'd think at this age now that that would that would really come to an end for him but he does seem to still be convincing in these yeah. roles yeah, and I mean, he has been injured in this one, and he was injured in the last one, so you wonder how long he'd want to carry on being injured. In the, yeah, because in the, he in broke Africa his leg last. in the Star Wars one, I think didn't so. he? Something fell on him. He broke it in Hertfordshire as well, wasn't it? I it was... he broke it in half. That would have been dramatic. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it was the door of the Millennium Falcon, apparently. It, la- ah. it, it, it landed on him or something well, like that. I mean, broke... even, even the Millennium Falcon's getting old, you yeah. know, so it's, not, it's no wonder the door fell off. Yeah. When you think about it, it's like an old fridge. Yeah, no, but, yeah. but it happened in Leavesden, so, you ah. know, way up for hearts. Yeah. <laughs> Go hard for check. Yeah. yeah, we know how to hurt film stars. <laughs> anyway, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, classic uh, cinema action there. Uh, Tuesday, the 5th of October, 9 pm on Film 4. Our penultimate choice this week, Wednesday, the 6th of October, 11 35 pm on Film 4. Four weddings and a funeral. Yeah, I mean, this is a, well, this is a, still a very funny comedy, I think. I mean, it might not have aged wonderfully over the years because I think it's been repeated a lot but initially when this one hit um, 
everybody, I think everybody went to see this, didn't they? Um, I looked at the, to see how much money it made. The original budget for this movie was three million pounds, and it made, okay, in dollars, but two hundred and forty-five million dollars. That's quite uh, quite a take, and it shows how well it did in all over the world, you know, and particularly in America. And it set Hugh Grant off for a career playing sort of bumbling but handsome and, you know, slightly, oh dear, terribly sorry, you know, um, Englishman. Uh, and usually opposites an American like Andy McDowell, who is in this one. Yeah. Uh, but the supporting cast, uh, everybody either was very good originally or was launched after this movie. So Kristen Scott Thomas is in it. You've got James Fleet, Simon Callow, John Hanna, Charlotte Coleman, Corin Redgrave, Rowan Atkinson, uh, you know, the list goes on. Uh, directed by Mike Newell as well. He was a very good... St. Albans' own Mike Newell. Oh, I did not realise. He went to St. Albans, Albans School. Um, the, he's oh. the patron of the Abbey Theatre. I think his father was one of the founding members of the Abbey Theatre. Go of the Company of Ten. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Marvellous. Keeping it local. St. Albans' own Mike <laughs> Newell there. Um, yeah. But, and it, listen to the podcast. Hello, Mike. There you go. Prove good me wrong. You. Well done, Mike. Prove me wrong. <laughs> He'll email in now and say, no, I don't. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hope he does. That would be brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's worth a look. I mean, it's really funny and... Um, you know, I, I just think it was charming. And I suppose that you could criticise it for saying it represents a bit of England that doesn't really exist, or if it does, it's kind of somewhat uh, cut off from most people. But it's probably a representation of the kind of Britain America thinks or wants us to be like. And that's probably what its appeal is about. But it's also very funny, so we can forgive it for any of that. Now, do you know what links For Weddings and a Funeral to your last film? I didn't know this. I've just read this on the screen here now. To so the last film I'm about to mention. No, no, no to the previous one. Oh, the previous one. Okay, Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, correctly. Um, you're not. You're not going to get this. It's not Rowan Atkinson, is it? You're it? right. There. It, it's yeah, not. You oh, um, damn. <laughs> <laughs> when you said you're right, you tease. <laughs> <laughs> you said it's not. Said, no, you're right. It's not. Go it's on, Mike then. Newell. Oh, who directed one, two, three, four. Four um, uh, feature-length episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh, right, the one that followed on after. Yes, yeah, yeah. So they, they they made a whole series of oh, like wow. TV movies. I think they did a, like a dozen of them, if not more, right. uh, featuring the exploits of a young Indiana Jones. And it was all mm. George Lucas, a big budget TV um, production, and and Mike Newell directed. Um, yeah, from the looks of things, he did four of them. Oh, um, I did not know that. No, no, I only just read it now because I was intrigued by his um, his CV because he also directed a Donnie. Brasco. Yeah, I was about to say, Donnie Brasco's brilliant. He yeah. did such a good job on that. And, yeah, and Harry, Harry that Potter and the Goblet of Fire was him as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. It's not a bad career, that is it. I mean, even if you saw three movies on your CV, you're doing pretty well, aren't you? <laughs> the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society was also him. Yeah, I've which, not seen that one. No, I've heard of it um, yeah. from a couple of years back now. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's uh, Mike Newell uh, directing Four Weddings and a Funeral which is on Wednesday the 6th of October, 11.35am on Charm, Film 4. Charming and funny, I think we can sum it up. Okay, mm. let's now go to our final film. We started with Bond, yes. we're ending with Bond. We're coming full circle. There's something appropriate about this. Casino Royale uh, uh, from 2006, and that's um, on at uh, 9 o'clock on ITV4. And it's Daniel Craig's first outing, as opposed to his last as 007. He is, again, brilliantly supported by Eva Green, who's pretty much wonderful in everything. And Mads Mikkelsen launched... Well, it didn't launch his career. He'd obviously done movies before that, but became very well-known worldwide as the villain in that, the one with his bleeding eye, Le Chief. And, um, yeah, I think this is such a good movie, and it starts with some fabulous open scenes. I mean, a very um, low-key initial black-and-white sequence where Bond has a gun on a guy he's going to have to get rid of, and having previously beaten the 
heck out of him in the uh, well of all places in a lavatory in a toilet public lavatory beats someone up and bangs their head against a wash basin to sort of introduce a slightly more vicious bond than we're used to and then it goes into that fantastic sequence of parker where they're jumping around on a crane and going through a building and eventually there's a you just think how can bond get out of this scenario and he does and then he gets a bit of a telling off from M, and then off we go. It's yeah. a fabulous movie. And also the way it's done, the way it's directed by Martin Campbell, who also directed Goldeneye. So he introduced yes. the world to, to Piers Brosnan, they and then introduced the world bring to... bring him as a safe pair of hands to bring in a new Bond, and a very a very good safe pair of hands. He seems to know exactly what he's doing. Yeah, um, and I loved how, in the beginning, so the, the pre credit sequence which Bond films traditionally have always had um, since I think the second one the first one didn't have one but but all the other ones did but um, it was all in black and white yeah. because it was showing him becoming 007 yes. and then it changes to colour when he becomes 007 mm. at the beginning of that but interestingly as well you, I don't know if you would have picked this up or not but in the film you don't ever hear the Bond theme oh, until the, the end. end yes but right at the end when you um, hear him introduce himself for the yes. first time in, in, in the, the iconic way. And he way. has now become Bond, yes. It's yeah. right at the end credits. You're absolutely right, it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's well worth another watch. And I think to watch it this week would be, um, you know, appropriate. Yeah, and, and, and arguably one of um, one of the best films. I think This or Skyfall mm. are one of Daniel Craig's bests. Mm. And I think both of those films are among the best of the Bond films. Yeah, I agree. I think they're both really, really good. Yeah. But, uh, but there you go. That's Casino Royale uh, rounding things off. Thursday the 7th of October, 9pm on ITV4. Thank you very much uh, to Howard Linsky for another cracking selection of films. You're very welcome. Pleasure as always. Next week on The Film Guide, it's the return of uh, Chris Aikman and producer Sam. We've got to be nice about producer Sam. She's sat the other side of that door right now. Hi, Probably Sam. hear every word that we can say. Um, <laughs> there's almost as many listeners as the podcast gets probably but there you go <laughs> uh, anyway thank you Howard um, the, Howard's list of films can be seen uh, in the description of our podcast um, episode right now uh, along with ha- Howard's choice of uh, the film that he thinks is too good to be forgotten but of those movies you've just selected for us to watch on TV which one would be your film of the week oh gosh you know I should have I should have given this some serious thought but let's go for Casino Royale because they're all a good bunch, but this one is the right one to watch this week, isn't it? Yeah. Bond is very much back. There you go. Uh, see you next time. <laughs>